Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago. Our guest this episode is Bill Holowaty, who is an executive vice president with golf club manufacturer Mura. You can learn more about Mura Golf by visiting MuraGolf.com. That's M-I-U-R-A-G-O-L-F.com. One of the great things about what I do and, and being able to talk about Mira every day is exactly that. You know, Mira Golf Clubs, there is a Mr. Mira. And um, we, we, are, we are so lucky in that regard to, to have someone who, you know, puts his name on everything he does. And you, as you can imagine, um, you know, having your name on, on a piece of equipment makes ultimately my job a lot easier because he cares so much about uh, anything that uh, is representing his family. Mr. Mira got involved in the golf business in 1957. That's when he started in the industry. Um, 1957, coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, is uh, one of the, the specialty lines within um, within our product line. We call it Series 1957. And then those products, which we can talk about later, represent just a little bit more hands-on personal customization than, than other clubs within the line or other models within our line. So Mr. Mira was involved uh, in Himeji, Japan. Uh, Himeji um, is the steel region of Japan and was an area famous uh, many, many, many years ago for the manufacturing of samurai swords. So uh, the two sort of went hand in hand. In fact, uh, the first uh, Japanese forge clubs were actually uh, manufactured by a, a master samurai craftsman. So there's there's a little bit with, 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 with that information, you know, given the, the, the um, you know what a samurai sword represents, and and the you know mythical strength and uh, that that they have. But uh, moves to Mira forward, Mr. Mira, while working in the industry, um, sort of came about that he believed that the process of forging was was you know to a large extent a little bit flawed, and and he certainly wasn't passing judgment on the way things were done. He just believed that he could do it better. And, and as, as such, uh, he um, started his own company, uh, left, left the company he was working with, and, and designed a manufacturing process which uh, allowed him to spend more time on the, the design of, uh, or the grain structure within the clubhead design. And uh, as such, uh, um, was able to, if you pardon the pun, forge a reputation amongst uh, um, or in the industry for producing just this really unique uh, forged golf club. Uh, my involvement and 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 spreading the the word to the or the Mira name to the rest of the world came about uh, late 90s. Um, I had uh, had played uh, professional hockey in Japan in the 80s and uh, continued to travel to Japan for about 15 years after that doing ice hockey schools in the summer. And at the end of, of every uh, summer, uh, um, my associate and uh, fellow Mira shareholder, uh, Herb Wakabayashi, um, 
we would um, one of the friends of Mr. Mira had a son who was interested in hockey and played hockey and long story short is we ended up at the Mira factory every um, at the end of every summer and you know we're, we're introduced to the clubs at that time this was something you know for, for me which was really special because uh, you know I was a golf gearhead uh, not uh, a great player by any means, uh, but a single-digit handicap, and to be able to go through a factory where golf clubs were being made, I thought was just fantastic. And one of the unique parts about going through the factory at that time was I recognized, you know, certainly met and was introduced to the Muir family, but also saw and recognized the number of OEM, a number of OEM companies, top companies that. Uh, we're having clubs made at that Mira factory, and uh, um, that obviously piqued my interest. And uh, you know, further to that, uh, determined it was it was told that you know these clubs that were done on behalf of all the top manufacturers were being made for top amateurs and their professionals. And uh, um, I found that just absolutely you know, intriguing beyond belief. And uh, so I would go home um, after the summers and uh, we eventually had a set of Mura golf clubs that I brought home and, you know, would have a friend hit them or buddies hit them. And, you know, the, the response was always, wow, these are, what are these? These are, you know, something. And, uh, um, you know, it didn't take long for a number of us connected to Japan to, plead with Mr. Mira saying we need to take your name on the clubs to the to the world as opposed to um, you know just having you know uh, you manufacturing clubs on behalf of the big OEMs and it took some convincing and some time and some research and you know fortunately we we came across um, a, a real um, visionary uh, by the name of Tom Kuzumoto and Tom based out of Vancouver as well obviously with um, he, you know a Canadian but with Japanese heritage and he also was intrigued by the story and um, through his investment and, and another, the others uh, we were able to uh, bring Mira Golf on a pilot project to North America in and around the late 90s 2000 and then got going full-time in 2003 when uh, circumstance made it uh, easy for me to transition from a family business into the golf business. So you you now have a uh, pretty extensive uh, catalog of different clubs. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the different Mura clubs, the different models that are available? Yeah, and and you know the the, the fortunate thing that uh, we've always believed uh, has benefited Mira, and um, you know certainly um, allowed the Mira family to design and manufacture clubs at a pace which wasn't necessarily dictated by you know the regular business cycles that existed in the golf industry. Uh, there, you know, there 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 are um, we have models within. A number of of um, segments, if you will. So, you know, the the top or low low am or low am top professional or low amateur player. Um, you know, sort of the the low handicapper, the mid handicapper, the high handicapper. Those are really, um, you know, I think uh, categories that uh, you know we as golfers and around the world are comfortable with. 
that don't necessarily follow through to the way Mr. Mura and his family designs golf clubs, but you know, for the purpose of of putting models within a certain category, it works, you know, certainly well enough. Um, our small blade and our 1957 CB cavity back, a um, little bit more compact head, less offset, and that obviously seems to suit the better player. Um, our CB501 and the passing point straight neck would tend to, uh, you know, be appealing not only to a low handicap or professional, but, you know, somewhere probably from, you know, a scratch player up to a mid-teen handicapper. And then, you know, we have uh, the passing point with offset, which would tend to um, appeal to, um, again, um, you know, a... Um, a, uh, anywhere from a professional player right up in, into a mid to high handicapper. So, you know, category wise, there's certainly a model that would appeal to to any and all golfers. Uh, we we are very very committed to the custom fitting process of purchasing golf clubs because we believe that uh, you know having the proper shaft and lie angle length and grip all contribute to the experience and. Um, you know, oftentimes uh, new golfers, for example, find themselves with a, a set of clubs that might have been in their family, their fathers or their mothers, um, that don't necessarily fit uh, the way that they play. And uh, as a consequence, you know, you have difficulty, you know, with with what we all know is a very difficult game, but you have difficulty um, making good shots. And, you know, it, it may catch your... Uh, um, or may give you the bug to golf more, but uh, eventually when you decide that uh, you're committed to the game and can get custom fit, then I think that really allows uh, um, all golfers to find a Mura club uh, that will suit their game and uh, allow them the greatest uh, um, chance to discover perfection. And when you mention all golfers, now um, you have a um, sort of an initiative focused on left-handed clubs and fitting left-handed golfers. Can you talk about uh, what, what was the idea behind that and, and what were you trying to accomplish by uh, this left-handed initiative? Well, Walter, we're based, our corporate offices are in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and as you can appreciate, um, lots of left-handed golfers relative to the rest of the world in Canada as, as a byproduct of our of our hockey gene, if you will. Um, approximately 33% of new golfers in Canada are left-handed. Um, that number in Japan might be less than 2%. And recent studies show probably somewhere around 5 or 6%, maybe a little bit higher in the U.S. So and Europe, pardon me. And, um, you know, as such... The market is limited, but you know, because we were based out of uh, Canada, we always felt that we could really, really deliver um, you know that special club uh, and and a little bit of attention and detail to uh, a market or equipment segment that you know was often an afterthought. And I, I don't mean that um, with any um, disrespect to you know any or all companies that were producing left-handed products, but you know when the demand just isn't there relatively speaking it's very hard to commit to that so um, we we knew that uh, our, our the product cycles and the life cycle for our products would be and is you know uh, a long-term commitment and as such we we've always had a, a left-handed blade iron and a left-handed cavity back iron within our line uh, including wedges 
But, you know, as, as we continue to evolve, you know, we, we've introduced uh, probably three new right-handed models, um, which uh, a large part of their success is tied to some design changes that happen uh, on the sole of the club, uh, a softening of the leading edge, uh, consideration to um, the bounce on the club, all designed, uh, we're all having better turf interaction in, in mind. And so we were able to deliver the, the CB501 initially and then the MB001 and our 1957CB with essentially what is a, a Y grind, uh, Y standing for Yoshitaka, um, Mr. Mira's number one son and, and the, the occupant of the number two chair on the grinding line, and um, able to design a club that you know certainly has all the characteristics in terms of feel and performance that um, golfers are used to with Mira, but um, now had had uh, a design on the sole which was promoting better ball on face contact, more solid shots, and, and consequently, you know, allowing for better performance. So although that was uh, inherent in our in our right-handed clubs, it was lacking in the left-handed, and it was hard to it's hard to design you know new left-handed models when when the demand just isn't there. So um, after you know some consultation with Yoshitaka and and uh, subsequent testing and trials, he was able to determine that uh, he'd be able to deliver the Y grind sole. In our existing models, the the left-handed cavity back and left-handed blade, and that would uh, you know potentially um, deliver a something new to left-handed golfers, uh, even though the actual club head would would look very similar, but b um, a club head that that you know where someone may have found that uh, they didn't particularly hit our existing left-handed blade or cavity back well, that the, the new Y grind um, was going to bring them back to our clubs and uh, allow them to, you know, potentially test and, and, and discover us again. So um, that's certainly been the case. And um, from that standpoint, we're very excited about what 2016 will mean uh, in terms of gaining exposure um, for our entire left-handed uh, or for all our left-handed models, but uh, the introduction of the uh, the Y grind sole is is you know primarily behind it. Now, having said that, we also have uh, finally been able to deliver to um, the Mira fans who have been playing left-handed clubs for so long a left-handed putter, and that was uh, obviously again a work in progress because uh, you know we have. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, have so many left-handed uh, uh, fans of Mira, and you know, typically what happens is uh, once you once you experience Mira, you know, you want to fill your bag with that, and uh, so it was it was difficult to be to be able to say that well, we only have irons and uh, wedges for you uh, until now, and uh, that we've been able to uh, design a, a new left-handed version of our. KM006 uh, putter. It has uh, some subtle changes to the right-handed. Uh, been very well received, and I think that's been made evident specifically from from the right-handers' point of view because uh, the guys who like the right-handed mirror putter said, "Can we get one 
that looks exactly like the left-handed one. So uh, that that's high praise from right-handers to actually be chasing something that the lefties have now. And uh, um, the putter, like all our putters, is manufactured from a single billet of soft carbon steel, um, the exact same way that our irons are made. So the grain structure uh, within the putter head is uh, the tightest in the industry that promotes um, a real solid feel and and uh, exceptional feel and uh, early feedback uh, from from the lefties is uh, we Mr. Muir has hit a home run with this one. So you mentioned uh, from the outset the unique uh, one of the unique things about Muir is the fact that it came from an actual person and the and the Muir name behind it. How much is uh, the Muir family involved with? Um, you know, new product introduction through the development of the clubs and, and how they're manufactured. How much are they uh, still sort of championing a lot of this stuff? Well, great question. And, uh, you know, I, I always mention it when I'm talking to people, Walter, but, um, you know, I think people lose touch. Like when I say and tell people there is a Mr. Mira, you know, there there's uh, – there's a uh, a little bit of a hesitation, and I anecdotally can tell you a story. The Greater Vancouver Open many years ago, um, there was a player playing in uh, the tournament uh, who was playing Mira clubs. Uh, had had this was uh, early 2000, and had um, uh, received the clubs through through uh, um, one of our contacts in the Dallas area. He was a winner on the PGA Tour, but uh, not a big name and. Uh, we went up to meet him on the putting green and uh, just said that we were with Mira Golf and uh, Mr. Mira would like to, you know, thank you for playing his clubs. And the response was wide-eyed, there's a Mr. Mira. <laughs> and and I think we still fight that today to some extent. I mean, obviously, you know, our, our growth uh, within the last number of years and um, the fine work of uh, many golf writers and bloggers and uh, um, you know the likes of uh, websites has uh, has has really helped in promoting and and building our brand, but you know to get back to your question, um, when talking about a Mr. Mira, um, th- once people discover that, I think there's there's a, an understanding that uh, this is something special. Um, we're we're very uh, very lucky that uh, Mr. Mira has two sons. Uh, intimately involved in the business. Um, Yoshitaka, as I said, is the uh, number one son. He he occupies the number two chair on the grinding line. Of course, the number one chair is still occupied by Mr. Mira, um, which in itself is uh, something very special. Um, in all likelihood, every Mira club that uh, is produced has one of the Mira's hand or fingerprints all over it. And uh, that in itself is something um, we're very proud of and uh, I think goes a little bit, um, you know, to, you know, part of the story that we need to continue to tell that uh, the handmade component of, of of a Forge Club, how, you know, at every step in the process, there's, there's a human being's hands on it, whether it's stamping grooves or the number on the sole or... Um, Attaching the hosel, I mean, th- th- there's there's human there's a human element, and you know that in itself I think is really really amazing when you consider that you might have a hundred seven irons you know in a tray in front of you, um, you watch you know Yoshitaka or Mr. Miura grinding seven irons, you think okay they can't all be the same and you know 
subsequently you measure the weight in them and they're all plus or minus half a gram and you know not even you know a, a, a trained eye really could find any differences in them so that's that's really unique and that's a big part of of the muras um and as such, you know, their involvement from start to finish. Uh, number two son uh, and president of the Mira factory is Shinye, uh, S-H-I-N-E-I. Shinye um, has, you know, is involved in, in all aspects of it, but um, very much involved uh, in, in the design and the initial forging of the clubs, um, taking that... Uh, billet of raw carbon steel and uh, and turning it into uh, what Yoshitaka eventually grinds so the boys um, were I, I mean that this personal opinion obviously matters uh, a lot but the legacy of, of the Muir company is, is is so strong because these two guys are, are so passionate and uh, Yoshitaka and Shinye both have um, you know minds that 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 understand uh, you know what golfers are looking for. They pay attention to you know every aspect of of, of the industry, um, materials, raw materials, new technologies. Um, you know what the pros are doing, what the amateurs are doing. So we're we're really thrilled with that. And uh, and uh, from that standpoint, when you can you know be working on a new design and uh, sit at the grinding wheel and say, I wonder how this is going to work and do it and then you know take it right to the the practice ground or the or the driving range be it yourself or or with uh you know a professional golfer um that's pretty uh you know pretty hands on and that ensures that uh you know that we're going to be on top of uh, new designs and technology um, not only in the short term but uh through the long term as well and just one other quick anecdotal story is that uh that story goes back a number of years, obviously, but um, Mr. Mira, when he got his company started, uh, uh, was shipping out product one day, and uh, Mrs. Mira was uh, was in the uh, the finishing room. I think uh, she was actually on that particular day taping off heads pre-sandblast and uh, um, looked at something that was going out and went through them and, uh, and found that... Uh, there were some quality problems, and uh, she made it known to Mr. Mira at that time that they weren't shipping that out with their name on it until it was perfect. And uh, Mr. Mira, like m- many of us, learned that uh, um, you know the, the job worth doing is worth doing right. And uh, to that end, uh, uh, and I think you'll find this with all the club fitters uh, when heads show up at their door, and uh, they they are. They are, you know, 100% certain that uh, they are going to be uh, absolutely perfect, and it allows our dealers to to deliver to their customers what is arguably, you know, the best golf club money can buy. So that brings me to my final question for you. Um, as far as your dealer network, um, I know in Illinois you're available through Club Champion and a few other local. Uh, dealers, yep. can you explain a little bit about the process of how do you go about selecting dealers for Mura clubs, and, and what's important to you in order to create that solid network? Uh, and, and Walter, I think my or our um, our expectations, um, our vision of what a Mura dealer represents, um, has evolved over the years. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think we began initially, um, you know, with, uh, with, with a knowledge of, of, uh, that, you know, there were hobbyists in the world and then there are custom club fitters who have trained and committed, uh, to their craft and, uh, <clears throat> That doesn't mean that the hobbyist is necessarily poor at what he does, or that the the uh, that um, you know the brick and mortar location um, has uh, um, you know craftsmen or workers there who who uh, are any better. So we, you know we, we really have um, created a dialogue, um, continue to talk with our. With our existing dealers, but uh, moving forward with new dealers, um, a real open dialogue, um, talking about um, you know what it means to be a Mura dealer and what our expectations are, and that has worked extremely well for us. Uh, we we tend to um, find that uh, you know club fitters will reach out to us as opposed to um, Mura going and knocking on their door and trying to uh, you know bring in uh, somebody else to to the dealer network just for the sake of having that so we're very particular about uh, who uh, who hangs the mirror shingle on their door but having said that um, you know we are committed to working with um, dealers and um, sometimes that uh, uh, expectation um, can can scare you know a potential dealer off but a uh, face-to-face from uh, our salespeople, from Charlie Gerber, from Sean Bravakis, from Ted Cotter, um, can can determine very quickly that, or they are able to determine very quickly um, whether there is opportunity there. And uh, we're certainly willing to work uh, with uh, potential dealers in that regard, learn a little bit about their business, um, communicate what our expectations are. And uh, sometimes we say no, you know, the first time and revisit uh, six months down the road with a better understanding um, and, you know, ultimately can uh, determine uh, um, that uh, whether the relationship is going to be a good one or a bad, uh, not a bad one, but whether or not it's going to be a good one and successful for both parties because ultimately that's what it has to be. It has to be good for the dealer. It has to be good for Mira Golf. And if that happens, then typically it's going to be good for the consumer. This has been the Chicago Golf Report podcast. Visit ChicagoGolfReport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago golf news, and in-depth event listings.